0: Hello there, this is Noah and John from Urban Digs, and today we are talking Manhattan. We're at City Connections Realty, and we got Paul Bernstein here with us. Thank you for joining, Paul. Oh, My great pleasure, good to be here. Um, thanks, this show is about basically extracting those insights of what you're seeing in the markets and parlaying that to um, other people that are trying to figure out what's happening out there. So let me just start out about you a little bit. Um, about 30 years plus in the real estate industry? In the industry, yes. Okay. And you said you started as a developer? Started as a
1: developer Mm -hmm. um, in San Francisco and then uh, Miami Beach. Mm -hmm. I would buy properties, I would cut them, I would redo them, or I'd buy apartment buildings Mm -hmm. and convert them to condominiums. Mm -hmm. And I did that for about 25 years. Okay. And then about five years ago, I decided to take a different tack, make life a little bit easier on myself, take less risk and do things quicker. So I decided to sell real estate. Well, I imagine
0: you built up a, a nice Rolodex of clients you know, from
1: that. Um, yes, uh, but those clients primarily were on the West Coast or down in the Southeast. Okay, gotcha. So I came to New York and had to then establish a clientele, local clientele here. In many instances, also an international clientele because I'm very involved in the art world. Mm -hmm. So I travel internationally to go to the art fairs and there meet many clients. Is most of your clientele
0: from the art world?
1: Yes, most of it's from the art world.
0: Okay, very interesting. How did you find the transition to New York City real estate? Um,
1: Well, I'm from New York. Right. uh, And I lived away from New York for probably... I, when, when I left college, I probably came back maybe 25 years ago, so mm-hmm. um, I am in New Yorker. I'm very comfortable being a New Yorker, mm-hmm. uh, so I didn't find it that difficult. I love real estate. It's in my blood. Right. You know, I sleep it. I, I think about it. I dream about it. Uh, you kind of have to in this market, right? Yeah. I mean, you I need so. that drive. Well, I, I guess so. the
2: question I would have is, uh, when you look back as a developer and now you look sort of as a, as a buyer agent or a seller mm-hmm. agent, what, what kind of things did you learn as a developer that you take to pretty much every property you're, you're seeing now?
1: Well, as a developer, you learn to design very quickly. So I, I can easily look at a piece of property. I, I can, that's why I love Street Easy because I think it does, it does so well. I go on the thing. The first thing yeah. I look at is I look at the, the floor plan yeah. because I can tell the, the spirit of the apartment, how the apartment flows, and, and thinking of a particular client, mm-hmm. is that going to work for this particular client? You know, I'm also educated as a psychologist, mm-hmm. so I'm very good at reading my clients and what they want and what you
0: seem very calmly spoken i'm like i'm feeling like my stress is just melting away right now just kind of (laughs) talking to you because usually i'm kind of fast and loud and all that stuff and Mm -hmm. yeah you know that's 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 therapeutic um i just want
2: to i'd like to follow (laughs) up (laughs) up on that because i think that's a very interesting point um how do you get the sense of a client? Is that something you can only accomplish from face to face meetings? Because I imagine if you have a roster of people who are in the art world or who have extremely hectic international schedules, it might
1: be difficult to get that one on one face time. You don't get much of it, but you don't need that much of it. I mean, if you know, I'm good at asking probing questions uh-huh. and finding out what the client really wants. Okay. Um, and sometimes they're not even sure, so we have to work together and define what they're looking for, and then I go out and I find it. I mean, that's 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 the fun part. Right. You know, um, I often joke that I will present a client three to five properties, and. He or she will choose one of those five, and in most instances, I know which one they're going to choose. It's a little game I play with myself. Mm-hmm. Um, actually, I write it in an envelope and I close it. <laughs> <And> <laughs> Blind then, hey, study, yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, so, you know, so I. I don't waste my client's time. I yep. don't look at hundreds of apartments. I don't send them hundreds of listings. So
2: they, they don't have a search. They're not looking on their phones at the well,
1: latest listings. And... Then you get the client who is 10 steps ahead of you. Yeah. That yeah. is, um, I mean, I just recently sold a house in Greenpoint, Long Island. because mm-hmm. My client called me and said, I found this house. I love it. Will you let me buy it? Yeah. And to this day, I haven't seen that. I've seen it planned, I've spoken to a broker about it, but I've not physically been in there. Clients today are very sophisticated and they love going online. Yeah, you, you, Buyer clients especially. Most buyer of your buyers.
0: business is on the buy side? Most of my business is on the
1: buy side, yes. Okay. Um, how many buyers are you working with right now, just to get an idea Right of now, I have about, um, including contract, I have like 12 buyers. 12 buyers,
0: okay. Right. Could you just share with, with the people listening, what are these buyers? How many are in contract, first off, of the 12? Uh, right now, there's half a dozen. Half a dozen in contract? Right. And that, is that recently?
1: In the last uh, 45, 60 days, yes. Have you noticed a pickup in any activity over the last one to two months? For myself, yes. Right. Yes, I, I, I've never had this many buyers at one particular time. And sellers, I have uh, two listings and one which is in contract as well.
0: Right. Um, what are your buyers, What the, the six other buyers that are still uh-huh. looking, what are they thinking right now? Are they just, are they on passive-aggressive
1: here, or? Um, you know, it really, did. It, it's, a, it's, a, it's a difficult question to answer because each buyer, of course, is, is very different. And those buyers, for example, who are in contract, want to buy something. You know, mm-hmm. they need to buy something, are interested in buying something, their family plans are such that mm-hmm. they need to buy something. So we were able to identify properties for them, and we got them into contract quickly. Mm-hmm. Then I have some clients who really don't need to buy something, but they know that they should because their life is going to change, but they're not overly motivated. Mm-hmm. So when they're not overly motivated, they tend to be overly critical, looking for that perfect apartment. And of course, there is no such thing as that perfect apartment, no matter if you pay a million dollars for it or, f- you know, $30 million for it. Yeah. Um, if you look hard enough, there'll be some flaw somewhere. They, well,
0: it's not going to fit everybody's criteria right. at that particular time. What about um, the sellers that you have right now? Um, let's just talk quickly about pricing. Everyone wants to talk about kind of pricing. How do you go about talking about to the seller about where you think should be priced? Like what kind of – run me through like a general – you know?
1: Well, it's fairly simple, I mean, you do a comp study and you see what things are sold in that particular building, in that particular area, and then you have to go and evaluate all that is sold, look at all of that, do all that research, yep. look at the condition of this particular apartment, look how sexy this apartment is, Right. and how well you can stage it yeah. to give its maximum presentation to the public. And as a real estate developer and as a designer, I very comfortable knowing how to stage it and we recommend how to stage it. Do you stage all of your listings? I don't stage them, but I hire a stager and pretty much direct as what they should do.
0: Right. And this is this is for, I mean, you think staging, you think of an empty apartment, you know, getting furniture, but you're really talking about apartments with furniture already and it might not be in showing condition or optimized showing um, condition.
1: Sometimes we take all the furniture out and redo it all. Right. From, from you know, paint it and redo it all. Yeah. it's It's certainly worth it to whatever the cost of that staging is. You certainly see it not only in the price that you get, yep. but in the time that you get. What about the, What's the buyer's reaction
0: psychologically to the staging? I mean, is it just buyers don't have the vision?
1: Um, or I, I think most people, and people tell me this, they don't have the vision. If they go into an empty apartment, they just can't see it. The buyer needs to come in and say, I could live here. Right, right. and right. if it's cluttered? It cannot be cluttered. It's got to be neat. It's got to be clean. The closets have to be totally organized. Right. Very, very good. It can, cannot be too much stuff anywhere. Right. Very interesting. Yeah.
2: I think there's a lot, a lot rides on that sort of that first entry through the front door. It's like, oh, yeah. you get that feeling. I, I could live here. Right. And I think it's what you're saying is it's much easier to get that feeling in a mm-hmm. stage department where you kind of see the bones I always thought that
0: it was the first, like, 20 seconds. You it know what I'm saying? Like, you know, you know in 20 seconds whether or not that apartment's going to kind of grab you or not, I always like to look at my client's reaction in the first twenty seconds, mm-hmm. and then I like to separate myself and look at the views separately and all the other stuff, and leave them alone. Just in case they ask me a pricing question, I can actually a- answer it. But right.
1: usually, you see it in the first thirty well, seconds. Well, think about your own experience and if things that you've bought yourself. You walk in, you say, "I can do this." Yeah, yeah. 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 So, you, you, you know, so it is that first twenty seconds. How do you handle
2: when, when you have that overly? We talked about that overly critical buyer mm-hmm. who is doesn't need to move just now, and they're they're looking for those flaws, but they walk in, it's like, oh, I, I kind of like it, comma, but. Mm-hmm. Do you ha- feel like a responsibility to address those issues, or are you sort of just hands off, you know what, those are your issues, I'm going to leave it there? Uh,
1: usually I let them sit for a while, okay. and then I'll follow up the following day after they have a time to think about it, and absorb all that they saw. Then I'll hear their butts and say, yes, but you know, if you take that wall out and you move
2: instead. So you're not trying to like proactively say, oh, let's talk about this wall really quick. You wait for them to come back and then
1: you... I think it's too much. Yeah. You know, they're just seeing a property for the first time, there's a lot for them to absorb. Yeah. I think it's much better just let them absorb it and then go back and sit with them. Sometimes we, I go back the next day with a floor plan and say, look, you do this and you do this and you do this, you can have all of this.
0: What's, um, what type of negotiation did you run into with these recent ping contracts? Did you, did you like give me like a general idea, a couple of basis points, 5%, 4%, 3%, um,
1: all over the place? Not all over the place. You know, there's, there's some room in, well, and we're talking now in a market that's under $4 million, that's anywhere from 1.5 to $4 million. So there's not really, in Manhattan, that many highly desirable properties, when I say highly desirable, I'm talking about a two bed and two bath, mm-hmm. highly desirable property in that price point. Mm-hmm. So usually the things that we bought are things that are desirable to other people as well. Right. So you have some negotiation, but you're not getting 25% off. In that price point, that's going right. to be over four million dollars. Right. Just start getting this you know, so kind That's a luxury sector kind of line.
2: Right. And one of the things that I've I've talked about before is that when you look at say, an upper east side two bedroom two bathroom co op, mm-hmm. there are, hundreds of them, Thank and you. it's much more of a commodity. When you start getting above ten million, and, and I know you sold one of the highest priced townhouses in the village. I mean, mm-hmm. This was recently, right? Oh, a couple of years no, ago. Right about three years. Three ago. years ago, it, it's much more of an art market transaction, which I guess. It's good for you since right. you know this art world. But mm-hmm. it's a one of a kind thing. Mm-hmm. There is no set benchmark to measure that price. It's all about what someone's willing to pay and mm-hmm. if that seller's willing to accept that. How do you approach that from the buy side perspective? I mean, do you do you start with the list price and work down or do you work on the kind of start with what the buyer's interested in and work up to kind of a, to a
1: price? I'm not sure I really understand the question. Um, which property I'm presenting to that
2: client? If or? you're if you have a buyer and you're just, you're looking at a, at a townhouse, that's. $23
1: million. Are you right. going to
2: start with that list price and say, all right, let's subtract this. Uh, it's worth... You mean when I do
1: my search? Yeah, I'm just curious. Oh, no. I'll, if I've got a buyer who tells me he wants to spend $20 million, I'll look at everything from $18 million to $30 million. Okay. Mm-hmm. Okay. And when you start
2: negotiating, do you, do you do you use that list price as a basis for negotiation? I guess is more of my question. Yes.
0: If there's no comps, I mean, like, if there's... Yeah. The, townhouse, the townhouse comps are just such a... Each each townhouse is its own animal. They're, they're be- all over the place. Between the FAR and the width and the depths right. All that kind of stuff and the renovation—it's like millions and millions and of the dollars. High, the heights
1: of the ceiling, and right. whether or not you have a southern garden, yeah. Uh, whether or not you have a roof deck, whether or not you have elevators. But, the elevator but to the answer roof.
0: your to answer your question, John, I think I think ultimately a lot of times, yes, I think with those type of illiquid, crazy variance markets like townhouses, mm-hmm. and each one is so different from each other. I think you kind of have to look at the asking price as the original, the, the the comps, the active comps, the sold comps, and contract comps should just be like a general kind of ballpark to just roughly see where are we at here. Are we at eighteen million and they're asking twenty three million? Or are we at twenty million and they're asking twenty three million? But I mean yes.
1: oh. no, particularly particularly a townhouse. The comps you know, I have some clients who say, Oh, you know, it's thirteen hundred dollars a square foot. Yeah. Ridiculous number. Yeah. Uh, but you know, and that's that's a really good buy. But as Noah was saying, there is so much information that goes into that square foot you know a 14 foot ceiling is much different than a 10 foot ceiling yeah you know a south facing garden is much different than a north facing garden surrounded by high apartment Mm -hmm. apartments yeah you start with that listing number obviously you try to get it as low as you can because everybody wants something yeah Yeah. especially well the
0: buyers want a deal today and i mean i think with those situations it's really just a matter of of us agents trying to bridge the gap for the clients and ultimately the I mean, the seller's going to go down as much as he wants. The buyer's going to go up as much as he wants. There may be a, a small bridge to gap, and those brokers are going to do whatever we can to make it exactly. kind of happen. Exactly. Um, back to your buyers just for a second. Mm-hmm. Are, are any of your buyers, those six buyers,
1: any bidding wars that you encountered? Yes. Uh, one of them was a bidding war that we paid an additional 14%. Over the asking price? Over address. the asking Could us. you just give me some, I, know, I
0: don't want to ask for the address, mm-hmm. but like general neighborhood prop, kind U- of property? It was Park Slope.
1: Mm-hmm. It was a townhouse. Um, there were five people bidding for it. Right. Um, Interesting. It, it was very competitive. Is this something you knew from day one that this property is going to go at or over the ask? Um, it was priced, uh, personally I think it was priced low. Um, okay. It was beyond charming. Um, and so yeah, I knew, and I knew my client was going to buy it the moment we walked in. I mean, right. I knew it as well as they knew it. because.
2: But this, It's a great example. I mean, listen, even in a market that most people would say, hey, listen, overall, the market has its challenges right now. Yeah. If you price something low, the market's going to work its magic, and people are going to say, hey, listen, there's value here. And it's going to go right back up to where it should be, and if not, a little bit over as people get excited about it.
0: And not only that, John, but it also proves the fact that the market dictates pricing, and all the sellers out there that are scared about leaving money on the table, mm-hmm. like, oh, my God, I'm not going to price this thing... let's take a regular case, not a townhouse, but like at 1.5 million, Mm -hmm. because I think it's worth 1.8 million, I don't wanna leave 300,000 on the table. If it's worth 1.8 million, and you price it at 1.5 million, you're gonna have six people, seven people, eight people, whatever it is, bidding it up, and you're gonna get probably close to that number. Uh, I'm just saying, like, I mean, that's an extreme example of $300,000, but usually, if you price it right, the market will do its thing. Yeah,
1: exactly. And and the market will tell you within 30 days if you've priced it right or not, because it hasn't moved in
0: 30 days, the price Thank you for segueing. So third, is that like just an all-around number you use? That's the number I use. Okay, you know, four that, weeks. That
1: gives you, you know, three or four open houses, gives people the opportunity to come and take a look at it. You hear people's comments, yeah. their, the positives and the negatives, yeah. okay? Um, but if you haven't had an offer in 30 days,
0: it's price wrong. Right. I mean, do you have this conversation with your seller before you even...
1: Always. So they're, they go into this knowing exactly... Yes. I mean, I always say to my seller, okay... They'll come up with a number and I'll comp it out and say, okay, it's, you know, it might be aspirational. Let's try it for 30 days, but if not, we're going to sit down in 30 days and we're going to reduce the
0: price. Mm-hmm. Do you lose, and let's be honest here, so I, mm-hmm. I don't know any agent that wins 100% of their listing pitches, right? So I'm assuming you've had some listing pitches that you did not win? Mm-hmm. Okay. Sure. And have you seen where those ultimately came on price-wise? <laughs> you see yes. where I'm going with this? Yes. Okay. okay. And could you just tell me, like, what was the difference there? Like, how was those prices of those listings that you did not win compared to how you told them the price? Um, in most instances, they sold for the price that I suggested. Okay. What about what were they listed at?
1: Oh, they were listed at you know 10, 15 percent mm-hmm. higher. 20% okay. Percent higher.
0: So you came in and you told them it's going to be worth two million, mm-hmm. and they ended up listing at two, 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 three. Two, four, two or two five. four two five. Right, but they sold right around two million. Right, exactly. Okay, and it took them time to sell it. Right, would you be willing to put those listings on the market for two four two five
1: for thirty days? Absolutely. Gotcha. Yes,
0: you know what, and we we talk about that you know, when we give the, our classes. Yeah,
1: because yeah. you know, the, the seller, you work for the seller. Yeah, and. If the seller believes it's worth that, and I'll look at the comps and mm-hmm. okay, maybe it's worth that. You know, maybe we'll find that one. But it's not yeah. that far of a stretch, kind of thing. Yeah. So I'll do that, but I'll be very clear with them that you have thirty days. Yeah, but
0: see, so you're a seasoned vet. You know, you, you've been down the road before. Um, a lot of agents don't know how to adapt their discussions and how to craft how to talk to these sellers. And we like to tell people, like, listen, you're going to encounter sellers that are either poisoned by other brokers. Brokers that are coming in here knowing that my chances of winning this listing agreement goes up dramatically if I tell them a number they would like to hear versus just what the data suggests, right? Well, let's just be real here.
1: Yes, but you know... We are in a service business. We are here to service our buyers and our sellers. So to be dishonest with them I one hundred is, is not doing
0: anybody any good. I agree 100%. A but I'm just acknowledging the fact that it exists in mm-hmm. reality. Oh, sure. That some agents are going to give them a number where it's not supported by the actual data. It's more of a wish number. Right, it's, right, right. And it's something, again, and I'm the seller, and now I have Paul Bernstein who's telling me where he's honest. He thinks it's going to trade based on the data. And then I got John Walkup who's telling me he's got clients overseas and it's worth two, four, he can get me more, give him a chance. Mm-hmm. Chances are I'm gonna probably try it with him. Mm-hmm. That, in my opinion, is poisoning kind of the mind of a seller. You know, the seller's mind's being poisoned by you know, a wish price that's not supported by data, it's just telling him what you want to hear. You've come up with a, a loophole, not a loophole, but like a... A, a, um, a, a, a framework for conversation. A framework, a, a middle ground, and saying, listen, you think it's worth two, four? Let's price it at two, nothing would make me happier to get two four for this place. I make more money if you get two four for this place. But in 30 days, if we don't have two four, will you agree to lower the price to this? I don't think a lot of agents have that in their spiel. And it's something I think you craft through experience. You have to see if like lose hundreds of listings to put all the pieces together of how to get the spiel right. Mm-hmm. You know? Because it's a tough world out there for agents.
2: Everyone's fighting for the same amount Yes, right. Which reminds me, would you rather be on the sell side today or on the buy side oh, today? On the buy side.
1: That's buy a side. great
0: question. The buy side. That's a great question. Why?
1: Um, because I really enjoy finding properties for my clients. Mm-hmm. I, I, I enjoy that, that part of the business. Mm-hmm. You know, as I said, I, I listen to my clients, I understand what they want, and then I go find it for them. So, so it's a smooth transaction for me. You get satisfaction when they find that that great place?
0: Absolutely.
2: Yeah, me too. I'd like to ask a question. So when you travel internationally, let's say you go to like an, an art fair in Basel or something something really cool, um, do you talk about real estate at these places? And if so, how are the conversations about Manhattan real estate away from Manhattan?
1: Well, but you know, it's curious. I don't talk about real estate. They talk about real estate. Yeah. Because yeah. they always say, well, what do you do? And I say, "I say real estate in Manhattan. Oh, wow. You know, it's a, and, that's, and the conversation starts. And you know, many of the international buyers, uh, their kids go to school here, okay. so they say, you know, I'm also buying the kid an apartment now, part of his inheritance. Right, and he needs a place to live. Once the kid graduates, I've always wanted an apartment in New York, so I'll keep it as a pied a terre. You know, it, it works. It works like that they're more interested in it than I don't have to go out and sell it I, right. I it's, like,
2: it's like real estate and stockbrokers you
1: know what I'm saying everyone's like the topic of well,
2: conversation well that's the other thing but the, the first thing that my ear registered was okay well you're talking to the art world artists maybe they're looking for lofts but I don't think that's what you're
1: necessarily talking about you're not looking for the Soho artist who needs well, I, giant north facing windows to do a lot of artists but the reality of it is is that there's a very small percentage of artists that can afford real estate in New York City yeah you know, I mean, they're five percent right. of all the artists who can afford to buy an apartment in New York.
0: Yeah, I, I mean, I would think, and I have no, I have no idea, but I would think that um, you know the, the market's down a little bit. The news has made made it clear that the market's down a little bit. and Manhattan's struggling a little bit and sluggish. I would think a lot of those questions outside are just like, how much are down? You down twenty? Down thirty? Is now the time to buy? Is 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 it done? Is it going to go down further? Which you know, I mean, I think it's a great buyer's market.
1: Well, you see, the the problem with those kinds of statistics, though, is that the market is very fragmented. So yeah. there are different markets out there. So they'll go, the market's down, and people are, you know, they just sold a penthouse for $58 million yesterday, you know, no, yeah. that was listed for 70. When you look at that percentage, I mean, the market's down, Right. right. but it's still sold for $58 million, yeah. so it's, like, oh, it's still a huge amount of money. No, that's totally
0: true. It's a highly fragmented market. Every building is its own market in this thing. Every price point has its own things going on. Right. Co-ops versus condos, new dev versus resale, five plus million, under a million. So true. Listen, we're we're getting towards the end here. Let's just okay. um, I want to summarize everything up here for buyers, sellers, and agents. Just quick tip for buyers: What would you say to buyers out there right now? It's a great time to buy. Okay, it's a good time to buy. They hear this a lot in our um, Any reasons why it's a good time to buy? Because sellers have become much
1: more realistic in what they're willing to accept. To okay,
0: sell. thank you for a wonderful
1: answer. Nice yeah. one line, very clear. Sellers, sellers. I think sellers need to be realistic as mm-hmm. to what to expect. And not listen to what my neighbor down the the street got four years ago. Right. Um, and what is realistic. Okay.
0: And how about agents, especially agents that are trying to take it to the next level, up their game, see. take it to the next
1: level. Answer your phone. Mm-hmm. And when somebody wants to see an apartment, do whatever you can to get over there. Right. And don't say I've got to get a manicure or right. I'm busy today. Mm-hmm. Find somebody
0: else to open the door. Be responsive. Be responsive. Take and care your, and your and client. And, uh, and service your clients. Yes. Back to basics. Awesome. Paul Bernstein, thank okay. you so much. We're at My City pleasure. Connections Realty. This is Noah and John from Urban Digs. We are Talking Manhattan. We'll catch you next time.